Hello. <laughs> hey, Dove. How are you? Pretty good. How you doing? I'm good. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. Alan Kay once famously said, the best way to predict the future is to invent it. And I love that. And of course, all over the world, there are geeked out tech fairs and science fairs uh, and places where you can go to experience that sort of um, the culture and uh, spirit of creativity and invention. And But I don't think that in my experience, any of them do it as well as uh, the maker fairs that I have been to. And for a few reasons. One, that it is uh, a multi-generational experience. It's not just a student fair. It's not just a professional or adult fair. You have this wonderful mix uh, at Maker Fair. And um, while it is a uh, commercial endeavor as, as events and things go, um, it has managed to, I think, keep together the sort of um, balance between structured and unstructured, between uh, creative and technical, um, and it's just a really, it, it's an amazing place uh, to be if, um, like me, you like to be around uh, new tools and materials and thinking uh, as a way of, of inspiring and um and for a lot of cases, uh, showing off the, uh, you know, passionate making an invention that one does in uh, their garages and maker spaces and, and all kinds of places. Dove is back, which I am so excited about. Uh, you met Dove when I was at Beam Center in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, in earlier episodes. He is a spirited and extremely talented 13 year old um and when i offered him a couple of tickets to maker fair uh which it turns out he is at every year with his family uh he jumped at the opportunity uh it turns out you know dove is an interesting 13 year old perspective on maker fair because he's not a typical 13 year old um but i think we had a, a really fun conversation and he got some amazing footage from the fair so what you're about to listen to is a great uh catch up with dove who just uh finished his applications to high school which anyone who knows applying to high school in new york city or other uh cities knows how to tough that is. Dove, good luck with your applications. Thank you so much for the hard work. And uh, to everyone else, enjoy all this hard work by Dove and a snapshot of World Maker Fair 2017. Um, get a load of this. Hey, thanks thanks for uh, all of your amazing work on uh, the show while you were um, at Maker Fair this year. All right. Thank you for letting me do that. I know, it was really cool. I know it's been it's been a little while since you captured the footage, which is why I thought it would be good for us to get together and talk a little bit about what you got, which uh, there was so much and it was so good. Have you ever done this before? I haven't like gone around and interviewed people like that before. No, you you were a natural. You wouldn't you wouldn't know it that you've never done it before. Uh, it was uh it was pretty outstanding so i wanted to ask you a few questions about your experience i was there we were there on different days you and i and yes. um so i'm excited to talk to you about your impressions and um you guys it for you and your family this is kind of like an annual uh pilgrimage right to maker fair you've done this for years with your family yeah this is this is this is like the nerd Super Bowl, how we like to put it, and we're a family full of nerds, so yeah, we go every year. Yeah, it sounded like a, a couple points in your recording, it sounded like you were trying to meet back, meet back up, but the crowds um, can get 
uh, pretty intense if you're trying to uh, stay with people. So um, especially around like big things that are happening. Yeah, that's always crazy. Yeah, and there's always so much of it at Maker Fair. So like some of the scheduled events and things. Yes, um, for sure. So so let's jump right in. Let me start with that. What do you think of of all of the stuff that you got to see this year? Um, what was the interview that you did that that <laughs> was sort of like that, you know, that sound when the needle falls off the record um, where you're just like, what is going on? Uh, was was there was there one interview that stands out? There's so many ridiculous things. That's kind of maker first charm. Like, there was a guy that I talked to who made some armor for his wedding. Uh, so, can I just get your name really quickly, please? Dade Wheelis. Uh-huh. And he, like, hand-etched the entire thing, and it was, like, this really intricate... It's this really intricate armor, and you're just so confused, because that's just not a thing you hear every day. <laughs> and it's just things like that that you're, you're like, yeah, totally. Right. <laughs> All right, let's let's listen to that uh, together. Uh, and what what are you wearing? Um, this is armor that I made, stainless steel armor. I made it for my wedding, uh, which was a theme themed wedding for uh, it was about a year year and a half ago now. Uh, and I it took me it was so so much fun to make and it's so much fun to wear that I wear it every chance I get. <laughs> So what? What are the sort of? You have all these different designs on the armor. Mm -hmm. They're uh, they're all Celtic designs, um, and I have a, an Irish background, so I thought it was appropriate, and they're really pretty. This is the Tree of Life, which uh, to my wife and I has a special meaning. That's really cool. And did you laser cut these all on, or? No, this is all made by hand. Oofty. Yeah. That's... So I did uh, use a regular inkjet printer to print a stencil on a piece of paper, and then I exacto knife cut out the stencil for all of these pieces. Oh my, that's really cool. Now, is it comfortable? No, not at all. <laughs> I can imagine. Only after a few hours. It's not bad, but I've been wearing it since like 10, so uh, it's now, starting to wear me. Uh, the last question that I've been asking everyone is, uh, how do I convince my parents to let me build a suit of armor in my house? Uh, go to a metalworking school and it'll be part of their investment. They'll have to let you. There you go. Thank so, you. When you were when you were interviewing this guy, um, uh, he was wearing the armor, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he he had been wearing it the entire day. Yeah, and I mean, he was wearing it. He was wearing it since ten, ten a.m. He said. Uh, that like you could hear him talk about how it was kind of uncomfortable because he'd been wearing it since 10 a.m. And um, <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine the entire thing because it's all by hand. He hand etched the entire thing. Right. And also, he made it for his wedding. Like, how many people can say, like, yeah, I made a suit of armor for my wedding? Right. So, so, That's so you were in in sort of like the the crafts um, tent at that point, right? <laughs> No, actually, um, you you were there. So you know when you go into the museum, uh huh, and on the ground floor they have all that stuff. Yes. Um, of the museum and the circle, the like it's sort of a circle floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some people are like selling a little piece of craft, and they uh -huh. got that like both speaker thing happening. Uh huh. He was walking towards the bathrooms, I think. Oh, when I so caught he him. so he wasn't even uh he wasn't like. Uh, manning his station, he was just kind of, he was just walking. Oh, I think the he bathroom. was just walking around Maker Fair. Like I think that's what he was doing. Did you did you happen to ask him how he was going to manage his armor uh, in the bathroom? No, I did not. <laughs> well, that's there's a line. That's there's very, a line. That's to very which. that's very mature of you. Um, so, so thinking back on it, maybe I would have done that. <laughs> so that was actually one of my favorite conversations you had had. Cause, cause as you said, Maker Fair is one of those places, one, one of the things you described it as charm that I absolutely love about it is that, uh, it has in its, 
history been a place for all makers who are doing all kinds of things? And uh, sometimes you stumble upon something like that that's like a project that changed somebody's life that they're there to just tell you about. And um, I thought it was kind of precious how he's telling you about how he got into it because of his wedding and, and uh, the whole bit was, was pretty priceless. But um, shifting gears a little bit, one of the things I noticed, and I'm, I'm curious about your impression about this year was um i noticed a lot more vendors and and folks even folks who were like demonstrating demonstrating maybe maybe things that were educational or or tools um uh, there was like more of a sales pitch i felt like um did you did you feel like it was that way i i kind of did a little bit i mean there was an interesting thing going on the past two years with sort of the commercialization more of make because there used to be the maker shed right and that sort of monopolized like people go around and then companies would have their stuff at the maker shed and you could buy sort of kits for young kids or you could buy whatever the newest Arduino board is or uh, Raspi shield or well whatever there so mm-hmm. new tools and then that went away. Then I think a lot of people came in and were started to use that as like a way to start selling things there. Yeah. I mean the commercialization the maker movement sometimes that is a little frustrating for me. But there are also there's like a lot of big companies, big name companies that were there selling stuff now. There was like Dremel and all that. Mm-hmm. But then there's there's also some of the companies, some of the big name companies just to be clear, that have been there for years and haven't really changed. Companies like Intel, um, Intel's a good example. They're there every year. Um, they have like a whole bunch of developers that you can talk to from them, and they're really they're really good. They like because they're also they're like, hey, we're nerds too. Yeah. But then there's also and there's also the companies that come in and try and sell things. But where it's like the small indie people that were like, hey, we made a cool thing. Come buy it. Like, that's fine. Yep. And I, I mean, that's that's slightly new because now they don't have to compete with something like the Maker Shed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I think it's interesting. And I'm this is the second year without the Maker Shed, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll be intrigued to see how it continues for years to come. Yeah, the first, the fir- I think it'll take some time to figure itself out. But I remember I had the same reaction you did um, in the first year when I pulled up into one of the main sort of areas uh, of where we're um, on the grounds of of the Hall of Science, and there was a big like Quaker Oats pop up. Do you remember that from last year? I don't. It was so, it, yeah, it was really random. And they were um, sampling, uh, like, <laughs> cold cereal. It was it was bizarre. And, and the connection was unclear. And the people who were running the tent, it was clear that they... Uh, uh, had no idea uh, why had, they were there. Had no idea whose, you know, boardroom idea it was for them to be sampling at Maker Fair and, and like what they were doing in this crowd of, uh, you know, chainmail wearing, uh, you know, dragon fire breathing uh, objects. So, um, yeah, I had that question, oh, too. This year can't wait till we get to the fire breathing <laughs> seemed a little a little a little bit better. But um, there was still a lot of sales just in the and because it wasn't um carved out into its own thing it was kind of hard to uh determine when you were walking up on something that was gonna end up being a sales pitch and uh when you were truly just walking up on a maker who wanted to yeah and i mean there again i want to stress like there are also some of those who were both there was one that was like this group of people that were making or making jewelry out of circuit boards and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were really, they were there. They were like telling you how they made them talking about that. And they were like, and then they were also selling them. But that, that I feel like is an okay mix. Like, I think it's interesting to see how, how it plays itself out. Yeah. And many of them are there sort of selling their wares as a way to sort of maintain their hobby or their, um, their passion. So I can, I can definitely get with that. Um, the other of my favorite passion projects, um, that I think actually has a pretty cool, um, 
uh, backstory to it is the the pop tabs. Um, do you remember this? The recycled can top fashions. I do remember this guy. Yeah. So so yeah. L- let's give a, a quick listen to that because um, I thought he was actually pretty fascinating. Uh, so first, can I please get your name and the name of your company here? My name is Andy Krumholtz, and the company is Escama Studio. Uh, great. Now, can you just explain what you've got here today? These are fashion handbags, accessories, and jewelry that are all made out of post-consumer recycled pop tabs, the tops of cans. Uh, When did you start doing this? How did you decide that this is something that you were going to do? I was in Brazil in 2004, and I saw something that was very rough that was in a uh, marketplace, kind of like in a bazaar, and I thought it was really cool. I brought it back as a gift for friends, and uh, then the next thing I knew, I became mesmerized by it and started a business where I was making bags and uh, accessories, and museum gift shops picked them up, and then it was off to the races. Uh, Great, that's awesome. And uh, how many many pop tabs are part of each each thing? The little... Clutch purses is about 200 tabs, and some of the big uh, bags, like the messenger bag, has 1,600 tabs. Um, that, where do you get all those tabs from? From a recycling center in Brazil. They, they collect cans, but they also have tabs separated out, and then the artists that make everything buy the tabs in bulk from the recycling center. That's awesome. I can... <laughs> That must be fun, storing all of these until you use them, just boxes of tabs everywhere. Yeah, I don't need to store them. They, everything is in Brazil. So the, the artists are in Brazil, and they buy the tabs from Brazil. It's all yeah. sourced there. All right, thank you so much. So uh, w- th- this guy was hysterical, and it sounds like I, I actually did uh, Google it afterwards, and it sounds like he's got a whole operation in Brazil where uh, these Brazilian artists are sort of buying the tabs and... and uh, have a um a little business going that i wasn't i wasn't totally clear on whether it's but it sounded like a nonprofit that was basically funding these artists and things that were happening in uh, brazil which i thought was a really neat uh neat neat uh setup so one of the things i wanted to ask you about that these two interviews in particular that we've talked about are a great illustration of one of the things I love about Maker Faire, which is that it is such a blend of high tech and low tech, and um, th- like these two as a but great in between as a great yeah, and everything in between totally. And uh, these two are a great example. Uh, I wanted to ask you what were some of the other of your favorite uh, low tech things that you saw. Um, heavy meta. I loved heavy meta. Um, what was that about? So they took a they took like a van, and then they built this giant metal dragon on top of it. Yeah. And so it's like a stage, and usually they go around. And bands perform on top of it on the stage, and then but then this crazy part is they they stuck a propane torch in its mouth and then we're just blasting it mm. at maker fair and it was <laughs> i mean like i don't know is there yes does I have, the podcast have a website right now uh, yes we do and and uh, all right can we link to can we link to a picture of this thing because if people want or just you could google it like yes i will i will link it's to a photo impressive it's pretty amazing, and I and I will also look for. I think that they have some videos on YouTube because uh, this thing is massive, and it's basically about. Uh, it's kind of about the spectacle of uh, big metal things and fire. Uh, it's very Mad Max. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's kind of more my time. Yes, I know what you mean. Um, so that, that's a pretty great one. I also loved stuff like I did things with with my kids that were um, like soap making. 
And uh, uh, one of the uh, staple favorites of Maker Fair, of course, is the marshmallow shooters out of PVC pipes. Um, uh, yes. it, it's definitely it. it I think uh, this year it kind of maintained that uh, spirit and vibe of, of low tech. And then, uh, my son, Oscar, who's eight, uh, he w- goes nuts for the, um, the go-karts and, uh, the derby that happens every year. Oh, so, the, like the, um, the toy car, the ones that you can sit in those plastic toy yeah, cars. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and they uh, race them, they soup them up and race them. Yep. And, and, uh, it's so much fun and apparently uh this is a league that i will also link to in the show notes that anybody can this is kind of an open source project where uh in the sense that anybody can kind of download the the basic blueprint for getting one of these things started and then it's all about kind of how you mod your car from there and then uh people come together every year and there's actually a uh there's a purse uh like a prize uh bucket that these these guys take home if you win uh one of the the big events which i think is pretty hysterical from there uh you said earlier uh high tech and low tech and everything in between one of my uh favorites was uh the dancing christmas water fountain so this guy was funny because he he i don't know i don't think he had a sense of humor Well, he was definitely pretty straight ahead with you, um, but let's let's give a listen to what he's up to. I think it's it's actually hysterical and maybe well timed uh, as we're nearing the uh, the holiday season. Um, so, can you just tell me what we're looking at here a little bit? Yeah, what we're looking at here is a, a computer-controlled dancing water fountain, and I normally use this uh, every year as my, my Christmas display, but. I take it out here to Maker Fair once a year to show it off. Uh, normally, I go to the San Mateo or San Francisco Maker Fair, but this is my first time this year coming to New York City. What what inspired you to build uh, the robotically controlled, the computer-controlled dancing water fountain? It actually started off as I wanted a computer-controlled Christmas light display, and I was trying to be like the first person in town to do it, and apparently some, a couple of other people beat me to the punch, and so I decided, okay, i got to go do something different, and uh, so I kind of got the idea of doing this, and it was sort of an engineering challenge to you know get this to work, but I, you know, it was something I started about five years ago. It took me about a year and a half to figure it all out, but once I got to that point, uh, and then it's pretty much been downhill from there. What's the most finicky part that you have the most trouble with when you're setting this up different places? What's the most finicky part of that? Sending it up out here right now, the most finicky part is getting keeping kids from leaning inside there. But probably the most finicky part is just getting the jets and stuff all set up and going and then getting them all lined up. And then once it's going, uh, then it's pretty stable, but it's just getting the jets set up and aimed properly. Uh, last question. How do I convince my parents to uh, let me build a huge water display in my backyard? Because uh, if you're into engineering, uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's the ultimate steam project. You know, and I say steam with uh, A for art in it. So, you know, it's art and science and technology. It's, it's all in one. So I guess uh, as far as your parents are concerned, they may be concerned about you getting electrocuted or something. But other than that, you know, I mean, it's like just anything you build something you take risks with it you know you learn from experience uh great and one last time can you just give me the name your name and the name of your project uh my name's scott schneider and the project's just called uh christmas dancing water fountain so um all right cool thank you yeah he he was uh too much uh you asked the good question of of uh when we were talking about this whether uh, I was wondering the entire time, uh, like you maybe, how this thing doesn't freeze because it sounded like he has it out there over Christmas. But it sounds like this dude actually transported his Christmas water fountain uh, situation all the way from California to yeah, be at to World Maker Fair. That is an insane amount of commitment. Yeah, it's a little crazy. <laughs> So he was he was though a good illustration of just your uh your good old like homemaker somebody who um 
wants to create something amazing for the pleasure of himself and his neighbors. And uh, I love, I kind of love that about Maker Fair that this guy um, transported this thing across the country. It probably took off, uh, you know, took off a week of work uh, to make this happen, which is, is just kind of too much. Um, so uh, I, the, the music mixer was another one that I thought uh, I had some questions about. And, and uh, let's, let's give a quick listen, and then I got a question for you about this. Modify to act like instruments. A lot, a lot of them, um, a lot of the functions can be controlled by this analog system. Uh, but there's a lot of things going on, too. Um, another, another aspect of this is that uh, the video signal that's being generated by this mixer, and you can see yourself on the camera right there, too. Um, oh, there's my hand. Mm -hmm. Im important pieces. I can make it a little more clear. Well, no, I'm not going to do that right now. Uh, all the important pieces of the video signal are being broken down by the system so that they can be viewed on this oscilloscope. Uh, if you look over here, um, you can see that uh, on the scope. Yes. And then they're being picked up by this camera and put back into the system. Do you see the scope? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whoa. So that's what goes from an additional dimension. Well, what's happening is um, taking it from electrical to light, and then back to electrical again. Sure. <laughs> Um, this is this is very static over here. You know, we we could do some digital stuff to to change it to change it, but we can't uh, move it around in this way. Once once it becomes a vector, we can do all sorts of stuff to it. That's why it's spinning around right now. Um, you could do this with digital processes, but they don't tend to be um, as smooth or as artistic. Um, the processes are kind of jagged and pixelated. It's a, do you see how see how um, pleasant that is? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, you're uh, mixing a mixing a sine wave on top of a video image. We can also displace it so the bright parts stand out. Uh, I'm going to give you something that's a little easier to understand. Um, now we see like this um, series of blocks over here. Uh, the, all the bright parts are standing out. It's a little easier to understand that way. We're back in. That's really cool. Yeah, you want to play? Oh, you, are you interviewing me? You can you can play this. So as as I'm listening to you with this guy. The whole time I'm wondering what's going through your head as as he is describing this whole situation. I mean, I'm a little confused. I, I just kept like trying to do things. He's like, no, no, we're not doing that right now. I was like, okay. <laughs> and like he had just done these things with other people. So I was like, all right, but whatever. Um, but like, I mean, he had, you have to understand, like there's just boxes with different wires connecting to them and like different knobs and levers and switches. And there's like video mixers and audio mixers and analog video effects and analog audio effect mixers. And they're all hooked up and you got like oscilloscopes and extraneous knobs that it's all hooked up in the end to a projector projecting on the wall and a speaker and so you're playing different like sounds and you can see different sort of like warped vor versions of this camera that's pointed at you yeah are, alan are, from beam alan from beam would love it yeah uh, it's funny i thought of him as well when i was listening to this thing but uh what i love about his description and it was hard not being there to know exactly how it went down but he was talking about it as though um as though he was describing like a bread box to you like like and which raised the question to me of for people who haven't been to maker fair before do you think um do you think that there's a certain level of knowledge that's just assumed by the people demoing some of this stuff because sometimes you stumble upon somebody who runs you I mean, through one of those you have one of those conversations and you walk away and uh you you just feel like your brain melted yeah sometimes but then also like everyone for the most part is just really open to 
you asking questions like they're fine with that yeah and so that's that's again part of the amazing thing and so if i don't understand something like you can usually just ask and they're they'll be happy to talk to you more about whatever their thing is like people are here to talk about their thing they love talking about their thing and if you ask them more they're probably going to tell you you know right yeah, you you have to be prepared if you're asking for more to get more. Like it can't be a polite yeah, like, like, "Oh, tell me about that," because you you like have they to be will invested. Tell you about that. <laughs> exactly. The I thought that the the, uh, the gentleman who uh, set up his um, lightsaber. You talked to him about uh, <laughs> he he wanted wanted to be a Jedi was his inspiration. Oh, the lightsaber! I love the lightsaber. Yeah. So funny thing about the lightsaber, my sister now wants a lightsaber for Hanukkah, so guess what she's getting for Hanukkah. Oh, that's hysterical. It, um, hello. I know I was just here recording a podcast here, and I was wondering if I can ask you a few questions about lightsabers. Sure, absolutely. Um, how how did you, like, start, Why when did you start being, like, lightsabers, that's a thing I want to build and do? Um, it, let's see, I've been doing this for about a year and a half now, uh, and it started just going to a convention uh, where I wanted to be a Jedi as a costume. Um, and you can go to, uh, like, a regular costume place and just get something, or you can find, like, a real lightsaber to do battle with. Um, so I, I found a company that, that made them, and then I found out that there are crazy people like us who like to go out and use them. Um, and that's why I found... Um, um, uh, Saber Guild uh, Empire Temple. Uh, so a lot of what we do is we use uh, these these blades because you can actually fight with these. And the bulk of what we do is for charity. Our main charity is uh, St. Mary's Children's Hospital. So we put on performances at uh, conventions and uh, and at the hospital. That's awesome. Now, how do I convince my parents to let me build one in my house? Oh, uh, well... Uh, but they are fairly reasonable for something that actually takes a, a good hit. So mom can totally get in on this. I, I, I guarantee it. They're, they're, they're pretty affordable. And they're a lot of fun. All right. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And, like, because sometimes she says these things and she, like, changes her mind like anyone. But since we saw that at Maker Fair, like, she has been consistent. Right. For months now. And we're like, Okay. So, and so and did you, you can't just get you can't just get one though because you gotta battle with someone because like the thing about getting a battle ready lightsaber is you gotta right. So can you just describe because that that part's not clear from the interview, but but tell us about how that works. So you get two. I mean, the whole thing is battle ready lightsabers. Like that's that's the thing that they do, and so I mean it's. It's crazy, and then you can ask. I ask them about it, and they have like sessions where people go, and they like they they have fights and they choreograph fights, and there's whole competitions where you go up on stage, and there are different fight companies that go and they like show their choreographed fights. So like where like where in people that build them? Where in your apartment are you guys going to do this? We we (laughs) uh, we have a house, so we're pretty lucky. We have a house in the yard. Oh, well, that's good. So we're pretty lucky in our um, space for that. My dad used to do stage combat. He used to be an actor. Uh-huh. So he used to be he used to be certified for stage combat. So, so that's so, like a thing he used to it. do. It's a thing he loves doing. So that's perfect. And, um, so he and your, and, and your yeah. sister can spar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and there's whole websites where you can go... You can go online and, like, you choose the hilt and then you choose the type of plastic you want for right. it. Then you choose the lighting and then you get the different sound boards. So, like, you can get them so, like, they have they have sensors. So when you, like, when you swing it around, it's got the, like, right, right. when you clash it against another one, you got light. You can get light and sound effects. So like, like, the, crack, like, the cracking noise. They crackle. You get the different buttons. You got the – and then you have, like, mirrors at the top of the thing to make it all – legit work i mean it's like a legit the thing is battle ready lightsabers and they're not lying right that's pretty incredible uh if he could figure out a way to have it come with the force i think it would be be, (laughs) force included and and i will i will buy it um so we we wanted to come i wanted to come back to um 
the big ant. So and and notice that from your uh, trip around the fair this year, doing your recordings, there were quite a few international um, groups that were there to sort of show oh. off projects from. Uh, there you, always is. There was it was there was like a contingent from uh, France. There was a Canadian uh, team in one of your interviews. Uh, wh- what were were there others that that uh, you didn't get to record? None that come to mind immediately. I mean, the big ant is um pretty spectacular. Like they, again, you should link to it in the show notes. Yeah, tell tell this us about probably, what it. So they, it's this, it's this company, and their whole thing is they make big mechanical stuff. Right. And it's like purely mechanical. Um, I love, um, I love that she, she said um, the translation is the machines of the island. Yes, it is la machine. Yeah, so that's what I, I just pulled up the I just pulled up the websites. Well, no, I pulled up in a, a website with one of their events uh, location that they had a big event at, and I'm just I'm just looking at these videos right now, and they're I mean these things are spectacular. They're huge. And they can just like they have them on top of buildings and they can move around and they have like legs that move. Yeah. And they all move around like they. So, for example, they have one where it's sort of a giant spider Mm -hmm. and it's on like there's some wheels at the bottom that can drive it around. And then but all the arms can move and there are people on it. And then there's a ginormous dragon. Mm. That like has the appearance of walking around. I see. Yeah, you got that. Um, so can you just tell me your name and the name of your project? Sure. Uh, well, my name is Helen, and I'm presenting right now the project of Les Machines de Lille, which is literally in French, uh, the machines of the island. We come from a city called Nantes, and we have an island there, and we build machines. So here we are. So can you tell me about the machine that we're looking at right here that you guys have here today? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, this is a giant ant. Uh, but it is a middle um, step model for a gianter <laughs> ant. Uh, this model is actually um, a movement study. We wanted to uh, study the movement basically of the legs of an ant and to simplify it because it's very complex to uh, be able to welcome people on the final giant ant and so people could operate the legs and antennas in different parts of the machine. Uh, so what are some other machines I see over there? Can you tell me about some of the other ones that you've made? Sure, like the first one uh, that is a bit like the symbol of our project is the great elephant. It's a huge, huge elephant um, walking just around the former shipyard where we are based in France and uh, it can carry 50 people, up to 50 people and he does, well it does tours and it's uh, all made of steel, wood and leather for the ears. That's awesome. Thank you very much. You're most welcome. I mean it's just that one was crazy and so the ant you're talking about here is it's got it's like this very intricate wooden ant um and it's wearing it wearing it's got these legs and they're sort of moving and the uh what it's situated on is a conveyor belt and it's this really smart system i think that this was a prototype for something bigger they were going to make and they had like it's just this beautiful very simple but beautiful and very genius engineering where that the foot went down from the mechanics Right, and then it was brought back by the uh, conveyor belt that it was on, then lift, and then the machine lifts it back up, and you can just you can see the entire thing. It's like all metal, and you can see the cranks turning, Mm -hmm. and it all goes back to the small engine at the back, and the whole thing is wooden. This was just, I mean, and here I'll send you so that you can link to this specifically. I'll show you the. I found a video online of this ant in action, and it's just, it's a genius piece of engineering. Yeah. And it's just so amazing, because you don't, like, this is not something you see very often at Maker Faire, 
and it's just it's so cool do you think that your experiences at maker fair um just having stuff up close and transparent in that way have made you savvier about the way things work like do you, do you think you, you just approach things differently at all it's a hard question because i've been going i've been going there for so long yeah and so I'm trying to think of, like, what that was originally. I think when I first went, it was around the age of, like, I don't know. I think I said in the other interview, like, I've always been curious. Uh-huh. But I think Maker Fair, what Maker Fair showed me is, like, there are more of my, like, uh, Maker Fair is my people, my parents <laughs> always joke. Like, there are, there's, like, this is the thing that people can do. And I think that's what Maker Fair showed me, and that's what's really cool. Right. And, like... It's it's things like it's things like the giant um, flame throwing, uh, the giant flame throwing f- dragon on a bus with people singing on top of it down to this like very intricate wooden ant yeah. that I was just talking about. It's like if that's a thing you want to do. There is a place where people like you can show that off or right. just people like this is a thing that I love. This is a thing I love doing and I'm going to do it and then show it off to the world. Yeah. And that that's just really cool. I love that. The the uh, passion is so evident uh, in the, com- you know, and anytime you go and have real conversations with people at Maker Fair, there's just so much passion. And I love that, too. Um so uh, then you there were a few project groups that uh, you visited with that sounded like fairly cool, um, you know, teams or high schools that were working on, uh, you know, engineering projects. Um, there was one from uh, Team 334 Robotics Team, which was a high school doing some pretty cool stuff. Um, I think you're talking about Brooklyn Tech. I talked to them, right? Yeah. Did Did you feel like, um, how was the, the sort of youth maker game this year? Do you feel like it was up to par? Yeah. Funny story, actually, about the Brooklyn Tech one, just before I talk about that, this guy, I went on a high school tour a few weeks before where, um, at Brooklyn tech and this dude that I talked to was giving my tour and he was like extolling the virtues of the mechatronics major thing. Yeah. And they like, we build robots. We go to competitions. It's awesome. And, um, so we we're over at the robot section and Brooklyn Tech had a thing and I was like, I wonder. And so I walk over there and there he is and, and so I was like, Hey, do you remember me? I'm the guy that left his wallet in um in the auditorium because it fell out of my pocket. Yeah, I was that guy. Oh, that's I know it was annoying. But like he but like I started talking to him and he just loved talking about it. And again, it's like one of those amazing things. Like people love talking about their thing. Right. All right. Yeah. Sorry. That was a tangent, but no, um, that's, that's okay. So, so you feel like the, the passion was high for youth makers as, uh, as much as it was for the adults. Yeah. That's exact. It's up. It's exactly on par, if not more sometimes. Yeah. Cause like, it's just that same energy. Like we're here, we're doing this for everyone. And totally. like, that's what maker fair is. So what's your name? My name is uh, Joseph Babbitt. Uh, what are you doing here? Uh, I'm here with uh, Team 334. We're an FRC robotics team out of Brooklyn Technical High School. Uh, what's the robot that you have sort of out there right now? So right now we have out there the 2017 robot. Uh, what you hear in the background, which sounds like a very annoying drill, is actually the robot shooting uh, oversized wiffle balls into a very small basketball basket. Uh, this differs a little bit from the game that we had today, uh, but it's no doubt a good show of the skill that the robot has. Uh, what's the what's the craziest robot that you guys have ever built? So by far our craziest robot right now is that chairbot, uh, which is just located off to my the in front of me. I'll describe it for you. It's basically the chassis of the robot we're shooting with for the 2017 competition, um, except we took off all of the stuff that actually does something, and we just put a chair on top of it. And uh, we've been using that to promote the team, just trying to drive around here at Maker Fair and get kids interested in robotics. Uh, what's the craziest thing that you've ever built at home? Oh, oh man, I, I'm not even sure. Uh, I, you know, there was there was a point in time where I was trying to uh, automate my bed so that the sheets would, uh, you know, basically pull themselves back up so I wouldn't have to make my bed every day. Um, I ended up just getting trapped inside, so not a good idea. 
How do you convince, last question, how do you convince your parents to let you do these crazy projects? Oh, it's, it's very easy. So uh, my mom has always been, always been very skeptical about my interest in technology. I'm a programmer first, so a lot of the stuff I do is just messing around on a computer, and that, that's pretty easy because it's not as physical, so my parents don't know about it. But when I'm making projects, you know, it's all about letting your uh, parents know that what you're doing is safe and that you know what you're doing. And even if it's not 100% true, you just got to let them know that. Um, and, you know, you have to have faith in yourself as well, and then your parents will follow through with that. All right, thank you. In that vein of, like, young people there, there were also all those um, educational things. So there's, there's the hexapod dude. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the hexapod guy? Yeah. So that was cool. Um, sort of, like, open, open sourcing the, like... Like it was, it was built on stuff that already existed, and trying to sort of create something that really worked for educators. Yeah. And um, as opposed to big companies creating them and trying to guess what people are doing, like yeah. they worked with teachers and stuff like that. And it was, it was a really cool product, and yeah. that that stuff gives me faith in humanity now when I uh, am lacking it, especially sure. due to recent news and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, stuff and, like uh, that. That's. That's amazing. Yeah, let's pause here and and listen to the Hexpod um, um, interview. So can you sort of tell me, I heard a little bit about it a moment ago, but can you sort of tell me the process that got you to what you have here? Uh, sure. Um, I had an. I was a teacher. I taught robotics and coached robotics for 10 years uh, at the high school level. I had a student uh, who did an independent study with me on walking robots. So the first thing we did was we developed a, a very simple Hexapod robot. And uh, I just noticed, even though it was very crude compared to what you see here, uh, I noticed that people who saw it were just instantly attracted to it. And so I realized it would be very motivational for uh, teaching kids about robotics and attracting them to look into it further. And uh, so I continued to develop it even after the the independent study was done. I added a lot more software support to it and uh, scratch programming so people could program it using drag and drop. Uh, and then decided, you know what, this is this is really working. I showed it to a lot of people. I want to launch it on Kickstarter and try to get it out to the world. Uh, what's your goal? What do you hope that it achieves? I hope that it brings more students into the world of robotics and programming, and it motivates students to, to learn how to program. Uh, you start with the fun and games and playing the different games with it, but then you tell the students, well, what if you, uh, playing a certain game like Joust, what if you could do a certain different move that the gamepad won't do? Well, you can develop that using Scratch, and then you can actually upload that new move to the gamepad and associate it with a button and use it during the game. So it really makes things concrete for the students. Programming is not just abstract. They're noticing a problem. They're figuring out, they're brainstorming a solution. They're implementing that using a programming language, learning how to program along the way. Uh, and then uh, being able to test the idea, see if it works, and this is the iterative process that's used in engineering. Uh, great, last question. Uh, how do I convince my parents to let me build a giant hexapod in my house? Uh, you probably want to make your bed every day, uh, take out the garbage, do the dishes, and um, you know, bribery also works. So. Perfect, thank you. So um, one of the things that I love about Maker Faire is from year to year, I always get, um, see new materials like uh, I get new ideas for things that are being uh, you know upcycled or repurposed into other things and then sometimes it's all about just brand new either uh, new chemistry that has become accessible or um, you know new plastics that are kind of more consumer friendly uh, what, did, did you notice any um, amazing materials this year that that kind of uh blew your mind as the next um there wasn't anything particularly new but there are just people's uses of materials that have been around for a while yeah. that i always find extraordinary so like the woman with the silicone mermaid tail for example that like that if you when you listen to the clip you can hear you can hear in that like little part where she talks about how she makes it the it's all stuff that's been done before, but like when you go ahead and say, like, I'm gonna go build a mermaid tail that's <laughs> that's a that's a cool thing. And it's really cool always to see how that pans out and see people experiment with new ways to to take something that's already there yeah. and do it better. Yeah. 
That makes a lot of sense. And I love that one was tons of, uh, it was like four layers of silicone. Let's, let's listen to the interview and, and, uh, she'll tell us My about it. My real name it. is Jolene Oldham and I am also known as Mermaid Pearly May. And these are Pearly May's beautiful nonsense silicone mermaid tails. That is awesome. Uh, how, what did you make that out of? This is prosthetic grade silicone, same kind they use in artificial limbs. Um, I have a process I can. I made a mold for the scales out of clay, and I make a resin mold out of the over the clay. Then I pour more silicone into the resin mold and pull it out. I make two of these. Then I cut out a polycarbonate fin to go inside. I sandwich them together with more silicone. I stick the bottom to the tail, and then you slip it on like a pair of tights, and you wow. go swimming. That's really cool. All right, thank you. That's awesome. Uh, so, so uh, that was an interesting one. And and do you? What about um, new equipment? Like, did you notice anything about uh, you know, three D printing is always a, a big uh, sort of feature of the fair. Um, any any new gear or equipment that that you were excited about every year things always get interesting as things become smaller and more accessible to the masses mm -hmm. so for example and you're talking about 3d printing every year like more it becomes more accessible for people to actually be able to 3d print things when they want to and stuff and it's so that's always cool and seeing how people are starting to use that and seeing how places are starting to adopt it like my school has a 3d printer now um and so that's cool, but also to the vein of how things get smaller. Um, I like when people figure out how to use something that we all have with us all the time and turn that into a new cool tool. So like um, turning my phone into an oscilloscope or um, having it do RF readings. For those who don't know, what's an oscilloscope do? An oscilloscope is – it allows you to visualize um, – it allows you to sort of uh, visualize waves. Right. Um, it, it lets you it lets you signal voltages basically. So when I have an electronic signal, mm -hmm. that that's waves, right? And it's useful. It's useful to be able to um, see those waves for diagnosing things and being able to adjust them and sort of poke and prod at them in an oscilloscope is uh, it's dealing visualizing these waves on a screen for you and being able to sort of mess with it in different ways for testing things yeah like i just googled it and like now seed studio has like a handheld oscilloscope for 90 bucks it's just a little lcd screen and stuff like that's cool um the new Arduino had just released some new boards that day, actually, um, or re very recently that they were sort of showing off. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, it always amazes me how quickly people can just churn this stuff out. Yeah. So with the new Arduino boards, we have new different types of connectivity built into the board, um, new interfaces, new possibilities. Um, and again, it's all about making things smaller and more accessible to people. And as people do that, that's always very impressive. Yeah, for sure. You stood around forever, uh, for those Coke and Mentos guys. Um, and this is a part of, of kind of the programmed experience at Maker Faire that people absolutely love. And I know you're a big fan. Um, tell, oh, I love it. Can you just describe the show for anybody who hasn't seen it? And, and maybe a little bit about like what you get from it being live that you wouldn't get from seeing it on YouTube. So it's a stage and there are these two dudes and they go through their spiel about Coke and Mentos. And if you don't know about it, you if you have some Diet Coke um, and you put Mentos in it, it'll explode in this fantastic plume. And um, you have all of these Coke bottles on the stage and they've got different pull pins and they're all hooked up in different ways. And some of them have like sprinkler attachments on them so that they different directions. 
Um, <laughs> and and then after their spiel, they start pulling them and they put on this show and like they're squirting all in different directions and some are going up and then some they're like picking up and twisting side to side. Um, and it's just it's pretty spectacular. Like. I, I don't know what it is. It's just being able to actually see that happen in front of you and see the people in the front that are getting slash react. It's just kind of amazing being able to see that live. That's amazing. So how were, uh, I've, I've always wondered about the, the dudes themselves who put it together. Let's check out the interview and, um, and hear more about these guys. You did, you did an awesome, uh, job and you were so persistent getting this, uh, conversation to happen. So let's listen. All right. You're up. All right. Uh, first of all, I just want to say you guys are awesome. Like, I've been watching this for a few years. Um, how, how did you originally, how did you two meet? And then how did you decide to do this here? Huge Coke and Mento show. We, 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 this is audio. Yeah. We we met um, at the Celebration Barn Theater in South Paris, Maine, which is a really cool place for performers to go to work on their performance. And we were doing different kinds of stuff, but that's where we became friends. And then I started going up to that part of the world to meet with Fritz and hang out with him. Uh, and one day I came up with a bottle of Coke and Mentos that a friend of mine had never tried it, but he, I had told me something happened. So I said to Fritz, I've heard something weird happens. We should try it. And so we tried it. We both fell in love with it immediately. And we had a show the next night at this little theater where we work. And so I said, let's do something for the show. And so we did a little 10-bottle show, a little 10-bottle presentation, and the audience was really liked it. So we decided, all right, let's really do it big. And that ended up being what you see today. How much trial and error led to what we saw today? Huge amounts. We spent six months. I lived in, outside of Boston. Fritz lives up in Maine. I came up every weekend I could for six months, and we were trying different effects, different candies, different sodas, different, all kinds of stuff that didn't work, and, and a few things that would work, and we kept the ones that worked, and, and but we spent literally six months working on the different effects and putting the stuff together. Not every day, but every, almost every weekend. How much does the Coca-Cola Corporation love you guys? <laughs> They have mixed feelings about us. They, we've done some stuff for them. We spiked their sales when this first went up. We spiked two liter Diet Coke sales by f over 5%, which is just mammoth for a company that size. Um, now they're more worried about people. They want people thinking about how good it tastes and how refreshing it is and not blowing it up. And so they're a little bit distant from us now. All right. And um, I just one last question. I thought that the pulling every year, I really like the, how you pull that string and you have all those pieces. How did that idea come to be? We were trying to figure as many different variations on the basic, the basic one bottle thing as we could, and string pulls became one of the, one of the families of variations that we could work on. And Fritz developed a really good method for hooking them together, um, bottle to bottle to bottle, that's not too bad to clean up afterwards, which is the other consideration. When you do a project this huge, you've got to be careful that the mess isn't too ridiculous at the end. And so all those strings you can see, on the, 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 the long strings are all carefully laid out now so they don't tangle. The early shows, I would spend literally 25 minutes untangling the knots that they turned into. And these are all carefully done. So there's a lot of systems that you don't see in the show that are part of what you have to figure out to do a complicated show like this. Now, how do I convince my parents to let me do a huge one in my backyard at home? Email me. Have, have them email me. I will email a personal letter, an email to them, telling them that they need to let you do that. All right. Thank you. It's awesome. So that was, that was incredible. Um, I love those guys. The... Uh, um, one last question I wanted to ask you is, what did did, uh, did you get to make anything? I got to make a gobo. That was pretty cool. I did that with my dad. I cut it out. You put it in a thing, and you stick it in a light. And they have this room set up with a bunch of different lights, and it's dark in there. Um, and so I cut out my gobo with, like, this intricate design. That's um, pretty cool. So gobo is like a... I have a picture a, of it somewhere. It's a uh, kind of a Like fixture. black metal foil. Yeah. And then you cut things into it, so you cut out shapes. And then you shine light through it. Uh -huh. And then there's like some things that not necessarily making. I got to color some things, which is cool at different stations. I got to write some things. I got to like hands on a lot of the time with people, robots will like hand you a remote and be like, here, try yeah. this. Yeah, that's um, always fun. So I got to try that a bunch. One that I didn't actually get to do while I was there, but still make today from stuff I got there. There was this guy that was making and giving out samples of syrups that he used that he made to, and you mix them with like seltzer and stuff to make soda. And my sister, my dad, and I were standing there trying them for so long. He's actually getting kind of annoyed with us, I think. And then we <laughs> we bought a bunch of them. We bought like an orange pop, a ginger ale, um, some chai. 
Um, so this like chai syrup one that was really good. Um, I mean, got a bunch of them and I still actually use that to mix sodas at my house today. That's pretty awesome. So you you just add seltzer. Is that the deal? Yeah. There's like a mixture that on the back, uh, X amount to X amount. That sounds pretty cool. And you just mix it together. And so. Right on. Dove, uh, you're amazing. Thank you again for all the hard work. Uh, it was truly some, uh, just some outstanding stuff that you took from the fair this year. Yeah. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for letting me do that. It was really fun. Uh, hopefully we can do it all again next year. Maybe. I hope so. Anything, anything left that I didn't ask you that, uh, we should make sure we, we sneak in there before we hang up. I mean, um, it's fun. We're still making something now uh, from Maker Fair today. We're still making this podcast. And um, I just want to urge people to check the show notes. There's going to be a lot of cool stuff down there. So Right on. Thanks, Dove. Hey, uh, you're in the midst of uh, high school application process. Uh, well, I just turned it in. I only have a few more interviews left, and then I will be done well we're wishing we're wishing you the best of luck with the rest of the process man all right thank you talk to you soon talk to you soon bye-bye for more info about how you can sponsor no such thing hit me on twitter at ma lesser no such thing is produced in partnership with city university of new york's master's program in youth studies at sps learn more at sps.cuny.edu and mouse a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good. Find us on the web at mouse.org. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, and young man who I beat in a slam dunk contest in 2004. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. The podcast is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthing.wordpress.com.